Today we're going to talk about true freedom. It's Independence Day. And God told me about two weeks ago, he said, Mark, I am going to shut down fireworks so half of the church can be there to listen to you, so you better make it good. <laughs> so the pressure's on. 1 John 3, 11 through 20. This is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. For we know that we have passed from death into life because we love our brothers. Because anyone who does not love remains in, in death. That's the tough part. And anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know that we have passed from death into life. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone sees his brother in need and has material possessions, but has no pity on him, what, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, do not love with word or tongue, but in actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. I want to tell you a little bit of something about memorization. You can see I haven't quite got it yet. I don't know if I'll get any stars or not because I made some mistakes. But memorization isn't something you just do for money. It isn't just something you do for prizes. It's something you do for life. Because we're going to talk about freedom today. And I will tell you, you will have more freedom in your life the more of God's word you have in your heart. The situations that come up, just, just by what we're talking about right now, if somebody comes and they treat you really poorly because you love God, you just remember that. Don't be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. There's some things that go along with that. Don't be freaked out either. Don't get angry. Don't just expect it's going to happen because Jesus said it was going to happen because they said that he hates them. Yeah, they hate him. But the last part to me is what says the best about freedom. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. I can tell you that nobody in the Old Testament was at rest in God's presence. <laughs> it was impossible to be at rest in God's presence. But because Jesus Christ came down and first died for us, and that's how we know what love is. Through that death, burial, and resurrection, and us accepting him, we can be at peace in his presence. That's amazing. That was unheard of. 
we have that freedom to be at rest in his presence. And by the way, we're not even at rest at our own, in our own presence because our own presence is saying, you don't deserve this, you don't, you're stupid, you're, you're sinful. It, it, it beats us up, but it says, well, God's greater than that. So just right here, this little bit, and I guarantee you, if you memorize that, there will be 15 things that happen today that you can apply that to, just because that's how God's Word works in our hearts. It's easy to apply it to freedom, because since I have Jesus who died for me, I can love one another, and it is in the loving of one another that I have freedom. That's what we're going to talk about today, is true freedom. I want... You need to divorce something from your life, not your spouse. You need to divorce our common culture that says there is work life or school life or personal life, and then there's your religious church life. That is a lie. That is a lie from the devil himself. There is only one life that you live, and you choose whether it is with God or whether it's not. And with God, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is no freedom in Satan. There is no freedom in this world. There's no freedom in hatred. There is freedom in love. Our forefathers were not perfect people. Okay, a lot of times we take people in history and we either vilify them or we raise them up to God's status. These were just people. But I want to tell you a few things that are in the Declaration of Independence that you need to pay attention to. And we're going to start with that. Three things. And by the way, when they wrote this thing, you got to look at the history when they write these things because it takes it out of God level and turns it into just people level and realize, I, I actually... It, there was another guy that was going to write this, that they told to write this, because he, you know, he had already set something up, and they said, well, go ahead and write the Declaration of Independence. And he says, well, no, you know, I'm really kind of busy. <laughs> he was. He was in a different, a different group, you know, a different committee, and he didn't have time to do both. That's, that's how it happened. So then, so then there's John Adams <coughs> and Thomas Jefferson. And Thomas Jefferson told John Adams he should write the Declaration of the Independence. And John Adams is like, no. It's almost like an email back and forth, the way, the way John Adams puts this. He's like, no, I'm not going to. And he's like, well, well, why? Well, I don't have to have a reason. Well, give me a reason. There's actually three reasons. Number one, people don't particularly like me very much. <laughs> and they love you. That's what John Adams said Thomas Jefferson. One of the other reasons is he said, you write like 10 times better than I do. <laughs> and so Thomas Jefferson said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll write the first draft and then we'll get five of us together and then we'll figure out what it should say. These are just people. These aren't people, you know, creating something that the world's never seen before. Now, the words were pretty impressive, but it's these three things that to me are the most impressive, and by the way, not all of them did Thomas Jefferson put in there. 
I suspect John Adams may have put some of these and maybe some of the others, but he did put this in, didn't use these exact words, but we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What is that saying? If it were me and I was in that committee, I'm not sure I'd use the words rights because the world just took, you know, our country has taken this rights thing and went crazy with it. Rights mean I can do whatever I want to do it, no matter how it affects you. That's not what they meant. But what that's saying is God. God gives ever. First of all, God is the creator. You first of all, we're not doing this thing. This is God. We are not creating freedom here. God has already granted the people that he created freedom. It is our responsibility as a government to maintain the God-given freedom. Not to create it, but to protect it. What's the freedom to do? The freedom is your life. You have the freedom to live. You have the freedom to have freedoms. And the pursuit of happiness, and I guarantee you that means something different to everybody hears it, but I'll tell you what it means in the reality of God. You are free to pursue what you choose to pursue for your freedom. Good, bad, or indifferent, it's your choice. God gives you that choice. How do we know God? God loves choice, by the way, because, because God loves freedom. God created this garden, this Garden of Eden, this beautiful garden. Why did he put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden? For freedom. Because if they had no choice, they would have no freedom. It was up to them to decide how to pursue happiness and their happiness. And when they got fooled, they pursued happiness with the wrong direction. And it results in death. And we'll talk about when you choose poorly. But they're saying that God gives everybody life, liberty, and the ability to pursue what they want to pursue. It's not us. God does. It's up to, it is the government. A government cannot stand in the way of that. If you ever want to know what a government's supposed to do, Romans has it pretty well. The government is supposed to punish evil people and reward good people. That's what the government's supposed to do. They're not supposed to stand in the way of people's life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. So he says, we're, we, are, we, we can't stay with you. <laughs> That's really what all of it's saying. It's saying, you know, we, we hate to tell you this, but we can't stay with you any longer because you're not going this direction, and we know this is the direction people go because God gave it to them to go there. Down a little farther, it says, we therefore, representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions. I don't know if you know what the word rectitude was. That, that was a college word I had to look up. <laughs> what does rectitude mean? It's saying we stand before God to judge whether or not what, our intending, what we're intending to do is right or not. Rectitude assumes it's correct, but they don't know for sure what they are doing is correct. They are going against a government that they are under. 
Have you ever ran into that situation where you were going against the government you're under and deciding is that right or wrong because there's, there's things that, that, that kind of imply that it's wrong and things that imply that's the way we should go? So they just said, we stand before God whether or not this is right. We pray that it is. We'll let him judge because he is the eternal judge. He's the one that will decide whether or not what we are doing is correct. And then right towards the bottom, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. Divine providence, if you don't know the words, is God. <laughs> Under the, God's protection, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. They knew if they signed this paper, people would die. I want you to throw away something that is in our culture today. This, the, the new religion of abundance of caution, okay? Abundance of caution is from the, from the devil. I want to tell you that right now. If you want abundance of caution, you will have no freedom. I want you to look through the Bible and if you say, Mark, I think you're wrong on this. You find one person in the Bible that did what God wanted them to do out of an abundance of caution, You know what Abraham did when he went into a new city under the abundance of caution? He told them that Sarah was his sister out of an abundance of caution. <laughs> you know why, the 12, why Israel didn't go into the promised land? Out of an abundance of caution. God told Joshua to be strong and courageous. Freedom comes at a cost. Freedom does not come at the abundance of caution. First of all, you need to understand the source because our founding fathers did. The source is not our nation. Our nation is not the source of freedom. Praise be to God that our nation was founded to protect freedom. But that's not where it came from. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. I will praise the Lord when I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. I will tell you, when you read through this, I want you to look at what our government is doing now, okay? Because our government is doing a lot of the things that you'll see that God is supposed to be doing, okay? Whenever your government starts playing, playing the place of God, you're in trouble. And when you start trusting in your princes, which is your government, <laughs> instead of your God, when you start trusting in man, you're going to go in a very bad place. How blessed is he who helps, whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heavens and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the stranger. He supports the fatherless and the widow, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise be the Lord. That's where your freedom comes from.
Your freedom comes from following a God that wants the best for you. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who believed him, if you will continue in my word, then you will truly be disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. You know what the definition of freedom is? It's not a complicated thing. It is the state of being free. (laughs) That's what it is. Our world tries to sell you a lot of things of what freedom is. There is even a credit card. I'll probably get in trouble online for even mentioning this. There is a credit card. The name of the credit card is freedom. How many of you use your credit cards a lot, and how is that working for you? Are you feeling free? The things that our society tries to sell is for freedom is exactly the opposite. If the sun makes you free, you will be free indeed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Others say there is freedom. That's what it is. The difference between freedom and liberty is very close. Liberty is more like your ability to do things without getting in trouble. (laughs) by the government. Freedom is really just your ability to choose. But even in that, I want you to say, your ability to choose, freedom is not, and what we're trying to get in this culture, freedom is not, if you choose it, you're okay. (laughs) Freedom, likely, you will be in a lot of trouble if you choose it. Just like they knew if they signed this document, which, by the way, was not all signed on July 4th. (laughs) You know, people say with John Hancock, he, you know, he's pretty conceited because he wrote so big. Well, he's the first one to write. He didn't know everybody else was going to write small. And again, you can't blame him for that. <laughs> it took into the November before that got finished, signed. And there was a lot of states that were really f- afraid, out of the abundance of caution, <laughs> that maybe they shouldn't have a representative signing that thing but it ended up being signed by 54 people knowing that it might very well lead to their death to sign it. Freedom is not free. If freedom were free, it really wouldn't be worth much. Where do we get our freedom? We get our freedom from Jesus, and it costs his life. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Jesus gave himself up to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. We'll talk about that in a little bit too. Freedom gives you the freedom to choose. But what you should be choosing will often depend on whether you get more freedom or less. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men. That man is Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all. Through death he might render powerless him who had power of death, that is the devil, that might and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. Jesus, 
did that. We know freedom just in our country is not free because we have hundreds of thousands of troops that have died on the field not to create freedom, to preserve freedom, to give all of you the ability to continue to have what God gave you from the beginning. It's costly. It should be appreciated as such. It should mean everything to you. So what's the source of our captivity? There are a lot of sources of our captivity, but they all lead to one thing. It might be your, the way you handle your finances might be your source of captivity. It might be your hatred towards your brother might be your source of captivity. It might be your inability to forgive a family member. That might be the source of your captivity. You know, we fight about a lot of things in this country, like whether or not you should be able to, to own a gun. I'm more concerned about whether or not you're able to forgive your brother. <laughs> we, we use this freedom of speech to say, I can say everything, anything I want, no matter how offensive it is. And that's true. <laughs> but what does it benefit you to do so? You need to be thinking about what's holding you back because in reality, it all goes to one thing. It's sin. They answered him, and this is, this is in the same context where Jesus is saying that if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And they're like, what are you talking about? We're already free. <laughs> and that might be what you're thinking because you live in the United States of America. Mark, what are you talking about? I'm already free. That's what they were thinking. I don't even know what you're talking about, Jesus. We're Abraham's descendants, and we have never yet been enslaved to anyone. And I suspect all of you, well, most of you, I hope, can say that. I've never really been enslaved to anyone. That's what they're thinking. I don't even know what you're talking about. How is that you, that you say you will become free? I'm already free. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, anyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Anyone who sins is in captivity. So I don't know how many people you think that covers, but it covers pretty much everybody. Without Christ, we are all in captivity. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What did that mean? That means you could do whatever you wanted to do. Therefore, what benefit than was deriving from the things which you are now ashamed of doing. Like for instance, you can take your credit card. I don't quite have enough money on one credit card to go buy a car, but I, I'm close. <laughs> I could. I have the freedom to do so. I have the freedom to go out right now and go down to the, to the car lot, give them my credit card and buy a car. I have the freedom to say bad things to people and make them feel really terrible. I have the freedom to do that. I have the freedom to decide not to forgive my brother. It's my freedom. My God-given freedom. 
But those choices will lead to something and a place where I don't want to go. For the outcome of those things is death. What did Satan say to Eve? When he's in the garden with her and she says, well, you know, God said, surely you shall not eat of this or you will die. She added touch too because I suspect Adam probably told her, don't even touch that thing. <laughs> don't even get close. Don't even look at that tree. What did Satan say? That's a lie. <laughs> That's what Satan said. What God said, that sin leads to death, that's a lie. He lied to you. <laughs> that's what Satan said to Eve, pretty much, in a roundabout way. God's lied to you. You surely will not die. If God says you will die, and, you know, there's a, there's a verse in the Bible that talks about that. You made God into a liar. That's what Satan did. He made God into a liar. No, God, God lied to you. God deceived you. She fell for it. And what Adam and Eve did led to death. <laughs> it's where it leads. It may, that's not where the world tells you it, it's going. The world tells you that this choice you're making is actually going to benefit you greatly. It's leading to death. If anybody's advising you to do something that's outside of the will of God, don't believe them when they say God's lying to you. God says it leads to death. I'm going to do something here. I'm going to read something. And this, this breaks my rules, but I can break my rules because I have freedom. <laughs> I don't typically preach out of, and I wouldn't necessarily call this preaching out of, but it's during my, my message, so I guess it is. The message. I don't know if you know what the message is, but the message is, uh, it's, it's a version of the Bible that's just really easy for people to understand. However, sometimes it goes a little bit too far in one area or another. So, if I'm studying, I definitely don't use the message. But I want to read the message to you in this. And I want you to kind of try to follow along. And it's going to be kind of long. It's actually about four slides, I think. And why am I using the message? I guess I should explain that to you. When you study Romans, what do most people say about Romans? It's like, it's really tough. <laughs> it's not really so much that it's tough, it's just there's some pretty deep things that, that Paul talks about, and the way Paul talks about them is sometimes hard for people to get. So you read something in Romans, say, out of the New American Standard, and you look up at your class, and they're like, huh? I didn't get that. And, and this passage, if I just read it from the New American Standard, there might be some of you who had that look on your face. So I want to read this from the message, because the message is it's very clear. So everybody, whether, whether you've been you know, in God's word for your whole life of 40, 50 years, or whether this is new to you, I think you'll get this. So follow me, but don't follow me by just kind of listening to what I'm talking up here. Actually think about this in your life. Okay? Think about how what these, this passage, and this is Romans 6, 11 through 23, where your life falls in what Paul's talking about. He's talking about freedom. 
Starting with, it's actually the last half of verse 11 where I've started here. You are dead to sin and alive in God. That's what Jesus did. <laughs> Understand that, okay? Jesus put you in that position. If the Son makes you free, <laughs> you're free indeed. About, this is about two chapters before he said there is no condemnation. If you're with Jesus, sin has been obliterated from your life. Now understand, that doesn't mean you quit committing it. That means it's, it's obliterated from your life. That means it, doesn't, it no longer controls you. If you sin, you, as 1 John says, you know, there's an advocate for you, pick you right back up, and you just keep moving on. You're free. You are free from sin. You're not free from committing sin. You'll, you'll make mistakes. You'll do stupid things. We all do stupid things. But it's instantly forgiven. God picks you up and you move on. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even let it run little errands. Don't even run little errands that are connected to your old way of life. Throw yourself wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you have been raised from the dead into a God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under the old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. So since we're out from the tyranny of the, of the old tyranny, does that mean that we can live any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. You know well enough in your own experiences that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act but offer yourself to the ways of God and the freedom never quits. All your lives, you've let sin tell you what to do. But thank God that you've started listening to a new master, one whose commands set you free to live openly in his freedom. I'm using this freedom language because it's easy to picture. You can readily recall, can't you, how at one time or more, that you did what you felt like doing, not caring about others, not caring about God, the worse your life became and the less freedom you had. And how much different it is now as you live in God's freedom, your life's healed and expansive in holiness. As long as you did what you felt like doing, ignoring God, you didn't have to bother with right thinking or right living or right anything for that matter. But do you call that free life? What did you get out of it? Nothing you're proud of now. Where did it get you? A dead end. But now that you have found, but now that you've found <clears throat> that you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do and have discovered the delight of listening to God telling you, what a surprise. A whole, healed, put-together life right now with more and more life on the way. Work hard for sin your whole life and the penalty is death, but God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered to us by Jesus, our Master. 
Are you there? Are you living in that freedom that sin is no longer telling you what to do? When sin tells you, Mark, go buy that car because it looks really nice and use your credit card, you can just say, no. Because that would be stupid. That would not give me freedom. That would lead to bondage. When sin tells you, you cannot forgive that person, you can say, oh, yes, I can. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive me. That's where freedom comes from. I want to tell you the story that you've probably all heard, but I want, you to, I want you to think of it in this concept, or in this context, of Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas got beat almost to death. They got ridiculed, got beat up, but they know in the back of their heads that, hey, don't be surprised if the world hates you. <laughs> they go to prison. Prison is not where people typically think freedom is, <laughs> okay? But there were no two freer gentlemen that night than Paul and Silas in a prison, standing before God, praising God, saying, God, you're the greatest thing. This is wonderful. <laughs> to the point that even when an earthquake came, and they had the opportunity to be free, they just simply went over to the jailer and said, hey, don't worry about it, we're all still here. <laughs> That's freedom, people. <laughs> That's what freedom looks like. That's what freedom in God looks like. It doesn't mean you're out there doing whatever you wanna do. That means no matter what the situation you're in, you're free. They were free to go over to the, they were free to run out the door, they were free to go over to the jailer and say, don't worry about it, we're all here. They, they had the freedom to do both. They did it God's way. I guarantee you sin was telling them a whole different thing to do. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Does that, does that not sound like redundant? <laughs> Why would he say that? Who's he talking to? He's talking about the Galatians. He's talking to them who have, Jesus has given them freedom. And they decided, you know, I want to go back to a different way. <laughs> I want to I go back. Do you remember when we used to earn our salvation? <laughs> you remember when we used to just be really, really good and we just earned our way to do it? I want to go back to that. And, and he's like, and that's why he says that. Wait a minute. <laughs> you want to go back to bondage? Jesus set you free so you would be free. <laughs> Jesus didn't set you free so you would be in bondage. So stand firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And that's what our, that's what our founding fathers were saying. We're not gonna go, we're, we're not gonna be there. We're gonna get out of that. That's what you need to say all of your life is you need to stay with Jesus, stay in his freedom because outside of him there is none. You will find this, you'll find this verse in probably about three-fourths of every sermon that I do, this next one, Okay? Because it applies to life in every single situation, just about. This is Moses. Moses is about ready to die. He's about re ready to pass off to Joshua. 
the leadership of Israel. He's been walking through the wilderness because the people chose poorly. And the abundance of caution. <laughs> and he says this to them. Because freedom is making a choice. Do you understand that? Freedom is the ability to choose. That's what freedom is. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set forth before you life and death. That's what life is. Life is a hundred thousand choices that are life and death. Choices. We don't see them as life and death choices. For instance, I talked about your inability to forgive somebody. Mark, you know, I just can't forgive that person. Okay, you have choice. <laughs> life and death. You're choosing death, okay? <laughs> Understand that. Understand that's what you're choosing here. And people will choose it anyway. There are many choices in life that are life and death choices. If you hate your brother, you're a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. What does that mean? That means if you hate people, you have no eternal life in him. Okay, understand that. Well, Jesus died for me. Okay, he didn't die for you to hate people. He died for you to love people. If you hate people, you don't have Jesus. Understand that. I've said this. I'm not going to be your witnesses. That's what he's saying. I'm not going to be your witness. I'm going to be dead, okay? I'm not going to be here. Heaven and earth will witness how you choose from here on out. You are God's chosen people. That's what he's telling them. You either choose God or you don't. I won't be here to see it. Heaven and earth will see how you choose, and how you choose will change the course of your life. The blessing and the curse. The blessing is life. The curse is death. <laughs> that's, it's not, that's not complicated. He didn't get up to say something incredibly intelligent. He said something that was incredibly true. So he's given you an, a suggestion. This is the suggestion option. Choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, by holding fast to him, for this is life. That's what life is. That's where freedom is. Freedom is there. Freedom is not in the choosing the curses. That's what Adam and Eve did. So use your freedom wisely. For you are called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. What does that mean? Do not use your freedom for your own enjoyment, <laughs> okay? To please yourself. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one, in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what you should choose. Our memory verse. This is the message you've heard from the beginning, that you should love one another, <laughs> okay? <laughs> it doesn't change the message. We live in a culture that the message changes all the time. That's, that is God's message doesn't change. That's the message. You want freedom. You want to be in God. You love people. And you love God. Act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but as a bond slave of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God and honor the king. Live a good life, a pleasing life to God. 
and your freedoms, as it says here, will never quit. So in conclusion, so what you should have got out of this. If you didn't hear a word I said, just get this part, okay? The source of freedom is not the United States of America. The source of freedom is God. Now I pray that the United States of America will continue on the path of protecting that freedom that God has given. We're doing a worse and worse job at it all of the time. <laughs> because we're actually getting to where the Israelites got where we are forgetting God. Let me ask you, if you go and Google, how, how, how do you get freedom and you Google that? How far do you think you have to go down before you ever even see anything that God even exists? <laughs> He's the source of freedom, but Google doesn't know that. God is the source. The cost was his son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the, the world through him would be saved. So that we would have freedom in him, he gave up his son. The source of our captivity is sin. There's a lot of different sins that fall into that, but it is just sin in general will consume you if you don't let Jesus consume you. Choose your master, and I suggest that be Jesus. And use your freedom wisely, and it is to love others, to the benefit. You know, churches fight over things like, like spiritual gifts. You know why God gave us spiritual gifts? Is to uplift one another. <laughs> So how do we use that, the freedom of spiritual gifts, to fight amongst the monks one another about what they are and how to use them and all that kind of stuff. There are so many times that we choose death, that we choose curses, and we get ourselves in this box of captivity. Love one another, love God with all your heart, soul, and all your mind, and you will be free, and you'll be free indeed. Shall we pray? Almighty God, we do thank you for our nation. Lord, at the same time, we pray for our nation. Lord, just as you said to Israel, if we would humble ourselves and pray and look to your face, Lord, then you will heal our land. I pray that that's what we do. I pray that we don't look just to the United States flag for, as a symbol of freedom, but we look to you as the author and perfecter of freedom. Lord, I pray, Lord, for the church. Lord, that we would be a resounding light. That people could see what true freedom looks like. Lord, if we would just know that Jesus Christ died for us and use that reality and that example and that love to live our lives, then we will be free indeed. We thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.